Turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 3 through, three through 13 this morning. I think that you should be pretty well about sick of hearing of relationships, so this morning I'm going to do it again. What do you say, one more time? One more time. Maybe this will be the last one unless the Lord leads otherwise. We read Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through, what did I say? Let's go through 13, 3 through 13. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. Here we go. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function or the same office, so we being many are one body, and here's the key, I need you to notice this, in Christ and individually, individually members of one another. That of right there is a key word. We're not just members of the same body. We are members one of another. All right, keep reading. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. The King James Version actually just skips right over into the of prophecy. The reason I like this text a little bit more, I like the English Standard Version, the um, New American Standard Version, and the New King James Version much better here. And let me explain why. Because there are some Hebrew or some Greek terms that are left out in the original King James Version that the New King James and the ESV went back and included in it. This is a very important part. I hate to see this part left out. So if you have the King James, you have a great version. However, you're going to miss a part in here. You're going to miss a part, and that's this part right here where it says, let's back up at verse 6 one more time. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or service, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads, do it with diligence. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to what? Hospitality. You may be seated. Mark Curley, would you open us in prayer this morning, please? Amen. Let me get me another drink. I'm just cutting up with Nick, but he's he's right. He's right. We we're trying to keep our sanctuary uh, as as nice as we can. It's not that it's a sin to bring um, food and drink in here, but we want to keep it as as nice and as we can. And uh, so we do ask that you res be as respectful as uh, as um, as God would have you be in in, in this building. 
No foods in the sanctuary. Thank you, Carson. All right. Over the past month or so, I've been speaking to all of you concerning the importance, the value of relationships, the goal that we should be uh, reaching for in our relationships. I've been, I've been pushing you and swaying you to begin pressing toward and pursuing uh, deep faith-building relationships, personal relationships, that without these relationships, many will not make it to the end. Hebrews 3 verses 13 through 14 was a scripture that told us, Brethren, beware lest there be in any of you a heart of, of evil, a heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And he tells us, but instead to exhort one another daily while it is called today. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast our confidence steadfast to win the end. But if that is true, the opposite is also true. We have not become partakers of Christ if we do not hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So there is a very real danger in many of you sitting out there right now not making it. There's a very real danger that I could not make it if I do not hold fast my confidence Steadfast to the end. If I choose one day that I just am not willing to do what it takes to follow after Christ, then according to the word of God, I've never become a partaker of Christ. And when that day comes, I will stand in the line with the goats. And the goats, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting punishment, everlasting fire. There is a real fear in this. And he tells us that the cure for it is to exhort one another, how often? Daily, while it is called today, because we don't have tomorrow. I want you to think about this. If uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said that if it had not been for Onesiphorus, Refreshing him often is what Paul said. Everybody else left him. He might not would have made it were it not for Onesiphorus refreshing him often and keeping his faith built up. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime and read the sufferings that he endured. Many of us would have quit after the first whipping that we received, 39 stripes from the Jews, from the cat of nine tails, we have said, yep, that's enough. We're done. Not Paul. He gives a list of all the sufferings he endured. And the reason he done it was because he trusted in Christ. But the thing that kept his faith was the people like Onesiphorus who refreshed him often. So that relationship, Paul says, if it weren't for that personal, deep, faith-building relationship... I might not would have made it, but God knew that and he put it there. If Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, needed Peter, James, and John by his side in his toughest times to pray with him, what in the world makes us think that I can make it without these relationships? What in the world makes me think I can sit at my house and not be in fellowship with Christians and I'm going to make it? Let me tell you, we're idiots is what we are because the fact of the matter is you're not. Matter of fact, you may have already done got out there in the world and ain't even realized it yet. The Bible says that many are deceived by the sinfulness of sin. They don't even realize what they're in. They don't even realize that they're living in it. So these relationships are very important. Last week, we talked about following God's design or His instructions. If we are going to become everything that God created us to be, we have to follow His design, His instructions. And I took you to Ephesians chapter 4 where uh, it, it told us that, that God or Christ has given each one of us gifts. Every man has received a gift to be used in ministering to one another and the purpose of this gift according to Ephesians chapter 4 verses uh, 11 and 12. you have that for me, Tim? He himself gave some gifts to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. And verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of the Christ. 
So last week we saw that God's blueprint, His design, is that we have church function to where pastor and teacher stands and teaches to students, but then that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Then your job is to take those teachings of long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, Christ-like attitudes, forgiveness, dropping pride, selfishness, all the things that we deal with, our job is to, your job is to take those teachings and then use them to minister to one another. Personal, deep, faith-building relationships. But how much time do you possibly have to minister to one another like that when all we do is spend Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night teacher-student relationships? So I pressed you toward building a, a small group of some kind and I asked some of you to pray about getting ready to, to open your homes and be hospitable, to open people in and invite them to come in and minister and begin to build relationships for the purpose, not the purpose of just having fun, that'll happen, but for the purpose of growing one another for the edifying of the body of Christ is what it is for. And according to Romans 8, 29, this is God's will for our life. He says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. So you see, he foreknew, he predestined you, it is your destiny to be Christ-like. You are the body of Christ through the ministering to one another and using all of your gifts. That is how we grow into the will of God. Without it, we will not grow in the will of God. I honestly believe this is the reason the majority of your churches in the world today, I'm just going to be blunt, are crippled. They are. The majority of your churches, you look around, they're crippled. And reason being is because the body has not figured out to minister their gifts one to another. We started talking about that... Um, this outline that God followed, if we don't follow this outline, we're going to run off the end of the cliff. Those of you that were here last week know exactly what I'm talking about there. Go with me, if you would, to the book of, or back at Romans chapter 12. You may not have ever flipped. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. Where last week Ephesians drew us an outline of teacher student relationship and then saint to saint ministering for the edifying of the body of Christ I want to focus more in Romans this week on just picturing it as a whole again I'm not going to separate it this week we've already covered I love to see the scriptures rightly divided if, you, if you've been here for the last several months, for the last month or so, you'll remember we started this thing over in Corinthians 12, then we go over to Ephesians 4, and we've been over in Colossians some, and now we're back in Romans some. But no matter where you go, it speaks the same thing. Everywhere. And that's when you know it is truth. Listen to what he says again in verse 3. He says, for I say through the grace given to me. So first off, Paul wants you to understand there is a measure of grace that has been given to me just like there's a measure of grace that's been given to you. Paul wants them to know right off, I can't stand up here and teach you anything except for the grace that was given to me. The only reason I'm a pastor and I do what I do is because he gave some gifts to be pastors. That was me. He gave some gifts to be apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, so on. But then he says, through the, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. So he's saying, and who's he talking to in this? He ain't dividing it out now. He ain't saying, all right, this is for pastors and teachers and this is for saints. Now he says, I say to every one of you, here's what I say, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Anybody remember what was going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? The reason he had to come in and say the presentable parts are, are just as needed as the unpresentable parts and everybody is same and everybody's gift is needed. Same thing going on here. He says, listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think because, listen, if it weren't for the grace of God, you wouldn't have nothing. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you're a nobody. You know what you are? If it ain't for the grace of God, you are dust. That's what you are. You're, the old, what's the song say? Don't laugh, Tina. I ain't going there. What does the old song say? The old song says, dust in the wind. 
That's what you are, except for the grace of God. That is it. And then he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think soberly because look what he says next. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And your measure of faith is just as important as my measure of faith. Your measure of faith and your gift of grace is equally needed just like mine is. And yet many of us sit because we don't know what we're doing or how to do it. and We just sit there and we don't do nothing. So Paul's fixing to address this. Look what he says next. In verse 4 he says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same office or the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. Now that's key. There is a center mass that connects us all together. It's kind of like you look at your body. All of your body are individual parts, but there's a center mass of Nick King that connects it all together. They all, every part of this body operates according to the desire of Nick King. He is the center mass of what this body does. So we are one body in Christ. He is the heart, the soul, and the mind of it. Y'all stay with me. Don't, don't leave me yet. I'm going somewhere. And individually, we are members of one another. Now this is important right here. Come here, Nick. Put your Bible down. Now turn around and face them. Are you ready? No. <laughs> what about now? Yeah. You ready? No. <laughs> Are you ready? Now why'd you do that? What was all that? Was you was fighting something off. There's a battle inside. So how come, now I didn't hit your eyes. I when I hit your arm, your eyes went. I know. I know. Now let's say that, let's say that I were to... Um, Take a knife and cut your hand. What would you? What What would your body do in response to that? Well, yeah, yeah, it would bleed. All right. So, all right. There's what I want to see right there. All right. So I just cut your left hand, and without having to tell the right hand what to do, instinctively this right hand just automatically reached over and grabbed the left hand. Now, why did it do that? Because there is one body. There is many members. Now let's say that, 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 that we were standing here and let's say that I was fixing a rare back and I was fixing to punch you in the face. What would you do? Would, you just, would your head and everything just stand there and go? I hope not. You wouldn't? Instead, there's what I'm looking for right there. So if I go to swing at you, now can your head do that all by itself? No. Your knees have to go a little bit. Your stomach has to tighten up. Your toes have to, your toes have to become a little bit stronger to be able to bear the extra weight of what is coming over. He don't have to tell any single one of these members what is needed for him to do. Thank you. You can sit down. Sorry about hitting you in your arm, man. I knew you could take it. <laughs> I'm going to go get me a steak just because of that. The point I'm trying to make to you this morning is this. We're not just individual members. We are the same body, but I don't want you to think we're one body and then the hand just does its own thing and then the arm just does its own thing and the stomach just does its own thing. No, they operate and they just instinctively respond to the desire of the inner man. The whole body of Nick King does not want his head to get wailed on. So because of that, not only does his head duck, but everything else in his body corresponds to that same reaction to protect the body as a whole. If someone shoots you in your left arm, your right arm just don't stand over and go, <laughs> you got shot. No, your right arm jumps up and it rolls over right away and it grabs hold and it does everything it can to comfort and help and try to do something to relieve the pain that's going on this arm. Not only does his arm feel it, but his eyes go. His teeth grind together. Everything in his body responds to the pain that takes place. So we are one body 
in Christ, who is the center mass of this thing, we all operate around His desire and we are members of one another. When Nick hurts, I literally should hurt if indeed I am a member of the body of Christ. When you are in danger, I should become protective because you are a member of me. If danger comes to you, danger comes to me. If anything happens in this body, every one of us ought to react in such a way that we respond to this, to, to, to this threat and everyone does their part. And when everyone does their part, growth occurs. So Paul wants him to know this. And then he moves on in verse 6. He says, having then gifts. So notice his wording. Having then. Now that you know that you are very much needed now that you know that you each have a gift that, you, that this body has to have, then he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. What's that next part again? Let us use them. What good is Nick's hand and arm going to do him if his left arm gets shot and all he does is sits there? What good does that do? What good does it do if, if danger is coming out of swing at his head and his head is trying to get out of the way but the stomach and the toes and nothing else corresponds with it and everything else just stands still? What good does it do him? He says, therefore, having gifts that are differing, let us use them. Let us put these things to work. Let us get serious about how we are ministering to the body of Christ. And he goes on and he says... If we have prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to the measure of faith that was given to us. Let me explain that to you. It ain't up to um, Austin Hoagland to get up here next Sunday morning and preach a sermon like I preach. He ain't got the knowledge that I've got yet. He ain't been doing this thing as long as I've been doing it. You cannot expect him to stand up here and just be able to teach everyone in here something they didn't know. But he says, if you have a gift of prophecy, you still get up, you still teach, and you still do it in the measure of faith that's been given to you at that particular time. And as you work this thing, faith increases. It grows, and the body grows from it. So he says, not only that, if ministry or service, in verse 7, is a better, better translation of that, or service, let us use it in our serving or in our ministering. He goes on, he says, um, teaching, uh, let us use it in our teaching. Whoever has the gift of exhorting, do it in exhortation. He who gives, do it with liberality. Whoever leads, do it with diligence. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Now I want to stop for just a second here and I want to look at these gifts. Now as I told you before, I don't want you to necessarily get your Bible out and go searching for what spiritual gift you have. Yeah, you may find it in there. You may find that indeed I'm a pastor. You may find that indeed I'm an evangelist. But let me tell you what is more important. The Bible says it's through the grace that has been given to me. So we take the grace that has been given to us and the only thing we do is become a channel of conduit for this grace to run through and however it comes out according to your need, that's how you know what your spiritual gift is. There are some gifts in here that not everybody has. Everybody's not a pastor. Everybody's not a teacher. Everybody's not an evangelist. Everybody's not a leader. However, there are gifts right here, at least four in this list, that every single one of you have. Let me give them to you just for a second. Go with me again back to verse, verse 6 or verse 7. Let's start in verse 7. The end of verse 6, the first one was prophecy. Everybody does not prophesy. The word prophesy means to speak the inspired word of God. That's what I do when I stand up here and talk to you on Sunday morning. As a pastor, I guide you and I lead you and I under-shepherd under the, under the guidance of Jesus Christ. But as a minister who preaches this word, I prophesy to you. I take the inspired word of God and I deliver it unto you. 
That's prophecy. Everybody does not prophesy. However, the next one says ministry or service is a better translation of the Greek word. Service. Let us use it in our serving. Now, if you were to go with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, you don't have verse 13, you don't have to turn there. I think Tim's got it. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what? Is this a single command that some of you should do and some should not do? This is a command that all Christians possess. You possess the gift of grace to be able to serve. You know why I say it's a gift of grace? Because in the flesh, we don't serve. We what? We get served. In the flesh, the server, the server is the one that's on the bottom of the chain. And who wants to be on the bottom of the chain? Nobody. But in the eyes of God, we're all called to serve and whoever is the greatest servant is actually on the top of the chain. People can't understand how come every time we have a meal, I want to be the last one to eat. It ain't because I'm trying to make myself look good. It's because I understand one thing. If I'm the pastor of this church and I play the leading role, I'm also the greatest servant of each and every one of you. There ought not be a person in here that outserves me. I'm just being straight with you. Deacons, right behind me. There ought not be a person in this church that outserves you if indeed you are on the chain where you're supposed to be. The greatest servant is the greatest leader. So every time I see opportunity, I don't sit on my butt. I get up and I get to serving. I get to doing what my job is to do because listen, I'm not playing a game. I'm in this thing to win the prize. I'm running a race and I'm training hard. And if it takes me having to serve at every occasion we have, then get over it. Get over it. I'm fixing to get up and I'm fixing to be serving. I'm fixing to be in your face with a glass of tea somewhere or doing something to serve you So, because that is what I have been called to do. So service is the first ministry. Going back to Romans chapter 12, verse 7. or Yeah, the end of verse 7. Or teaching. Not everybody is a teacher. Not all are teachers. So we move on to the next one. Verse 8. He who exhorts an exhortation. Exhorting. This is a gift that every single one of you have. Every single one of you can serve the body or can minister to the body by serving. Number one. Every single one of you can minister to the body by exhorting. The book of Hebrews gives us two places. The book of Hebrews chapter um, 3 verses 13 and 14 I believe it was again. It says that, that we are to exhort one another daily while it's called today. Does that leave anybody out? No. Every single one of you can exhort. The word exhort means to, to make an urgent appeal such as telling the troops to hold the line. In other words... When you exhort somebody, you see Nick in his struggles or even before you see him in his struggles and you say, brother, hold on. Hold on. Glory's coming soon. Brother, stand strong in this thing. When you see them in their tough times, you don't just sit back and go, Lord, I hope they make it through it. No, you call them up and you exhort them and you say, brother, you got to hold on. It's better on the other side, I promise you. Don't forget the promises of God. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Finally, there's a crown laid up for you. Just hold on. That's an urgent appeal. When the troops are being backed down by the enemy and they're beginning to retreat and then a captain stands up and says, Hold the line! What happens to the troops? They all begin to regroup and they get back in the line. They begin to press forward again. That is exhortation. The Bible says that we are to exhort one another daily. That's everybody's job. Hebrews chapter um, 10 verse 24, is that correct? Yes. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And that ain't just talking about church. I can take you to the book of Acts and show you where 5,000 were added to the church and they met in the temple daily, but then they went from house to house breaking bread. How many of their houses in that day you think held 5,000? So you know what they were doing? Small groups 
they got together in house to house and they encouraged one another. They exhorted one another. They built relationships. And then they still went back to the temple and met together as a whole under pastor-student relationships to learn. He says, but instead of, of forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, that's true, I'm going to get on that here in a minute, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How much more do we say the day approaching today than they did then? Next thing, back to Romans chapter 12. He who gives with liberality. Every single one of you are commanded to give. Now sometimes God puts you in a place to where you can't give, but you've got to be on the receiving end. Because guess what? Somebody's got to be on the receiving end every now and then, or nobody has any reason to give. There are times when I've had to be on the receiving end. However, at the same time, there are many times that we can put ourselves in a place to be on the giving end if we're willing to sacrifice and do the things we have to do. I have seen that personally in my life as well. But giving is another gift that every single one of you, everybody, is capable of doing if you will just choose to do so. The next thing, he who leads with diligence. Not everybody's a leader. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let me tell you what the Bible says about mercy because this is another gift that every single one of you can do. Uh, Luke 6 verse 36, Jesus has been talking to them about loving your enemies. Bless those who, do, who, bless those who persecute you. Love those who despitefully use you and they don't like you and they don't do right to you. And then he ends all that and says this, Therefore be what? Merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Merciful means giving people what they don't deserve. You give them mercy. They deserve to be punished for what they've done to you. But instead, he says, therefore be merciful just as your father is also merciful. This is a gift that everyone must have as a Christian. Look with me, if you would, at the book of um, James chapter 2, verse 13. This is very important. Another thing about mercy. James chapter 2, verse 13. It actually is talking about making sure that we show mercy in our judgment and everything that we do because if we don't have mercy, look what it says. Judgment is without mercy to the one who what? Now you see why I try to be as merciful I can in your situations. Anybody I've ministered to in your sin conditions, you know that I'm very gentle when it comes to that. You know that I'm not a judging person when I'm sitting at your, looking at your sin condition. I try to lead you the right way, but I'm very merciful. I'm very gentle. You know why? Because I need mercy in judgment. I don't want to be standing in judgment looking at God and he say, you remember how unmerciful you were to all those people in their sin condition, how you judged them and how they thought they were just terrible uh, Christians because of the things they let themselves get into? Well, guess what? That's what I think about you right now. Mercy, their judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then I love that next part. Mercy triumphs. In judgment. I can't wait for the Lord to look at me and say, You've shown great mercy. Come on in. Receive great mercy. Moving on. <clears throat> if we are going to ever operate like members of one another, if we're ever going to operate the way that we should in order to respond to each other in all types of dangers and sins, the only way we're going to do it, we have to use our gifts. We have to become servants. We have to become givers. We have to become people that want to exhort others during their tough times. And we have to become merciful people with each other. If we don't do it, this body will never operate the way that it should. And we cannot do it unless we develop relationships with each other to be able to do it. We have to build personal, deep, faith-growing relationships and minister our gifts. So I want to remind you real quick of the problems in us. Listen carefully. This is where I need everybody's attention. Let me get, let me, let me get my, my stuff going here again. This is where I need everybody's attention. I'm going to recap again, and I'm going to add a couple to it, of the problems that are in us 
that keep us from having these relationships that are personal faith, the personal deep and faith building. I want to show you the things that are in us that keep us from ministering our gifts one to another that set us in our pews to do absolutely nothing. I want to go over them. Number one, you're overprotective. I'm just going to cover it real quickly. You're scared of getting hurt, so you're overprotective. You put up walls and you decide, I'm not going to actually try to let anybody have a relationship. They have to be a perfect person and prove themselves to be the greatest person in the world before I will actually let them in. Got any of y'all out there? You ain't got to raise your hand because I know, I know you do. You're going to fall in one of these categories, I promise you, because I fall in one of them too. So you got some overprotective, and here's what I say to you. Stop it. Learn that in human relationships, there's going to be hurt. In human relationships, there is going to be trials. There's going to be tough times. There's going to be faults that you are going to do. You're not perfect. You're not. I know all of us in here think, think that every relationship that we've ever had that failed, it was their fault. No, it wasn't. It was probably just as much your fault as it was theirs. I'm just being straight with you. So quit being overprotective and learn how to extend grace. Learn that there are going to be times when you just have to say, I forgive you. There are going to be times that you just have to let stuff go. Drop your pride. Drop all the things that you deal with and trust that God is going to take care of your hurt. He's going to take care of your pain. There will be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more pain. No more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. Oh, what a day. What a glorious day that will be. And if we really understand that, then forgiveness is not that hard. Let's keep on going. Number two. Stop being so needy. It's a tough one. I ain't going to spend a lot of time on it either. If all you ever do, and like I said, I've got my own that I'm going to hit here in a minute, so I'm not knocking all of you in these categories. I got a bad one. I got a bad one myself. I'm not perfect by no means. But if you want these relationships to last and to build, you've got to quit being so needy. You can't go into this relationship of me, me, why, 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 so, 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 so. If that is what you build your relationship on, I'm going to promise you it's going to collapse. It will collapse. I'm not saying you can't share your burdens with one another. That is our job. I'm saying that if all your relationship is built on is your burdens, it's not going to be long. I will ignore your phone call. Y'all hear me? I will ignore your phone call. I will look at that baby and in my flesh I will say, I'm just a little too busy to answer this right now, God, so I'll just get back with them when I think about it. And that happens. Sit there and look at me like y'all don't do it. Go ahead, judge me. Go ahead. Go ahead. You've got to quit being so needy. You've got to go into the relationship with a spirit to serve, to do and if you do that, the relationship will be built and then the time comes when you share your burdens with each other and then you pray with one another. And it's a good relationship, but who in the world wants to be in a relationship that's wah, wah, wah? Now, if I'm lying, y'all fire me after this service this morning. I promise we'll still be friends, all right? I'll forgive you, but I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. Second, third thing. Sometimes you have to pursue the relationship. Sometimes you have to pursue it. How many of y'all have been that guy? I've been him. How many of y'all been that guy? You walk in and you sit down and you go, well, nobody wants to talk to me. hundred and something people in this church, how many did you talk to on your way in? You think they're stuck up? <laughs> There's 170 here you could have talked to. What's wrong with you? I don't know. You tell me. Sometimes you have to pursue this relationship. 
I remember Peter, James, and John. The Bible actually says that Peter, James, and John called him away privately to ask him more questions. He had such a relationship with them, but do you think it just popped up one day? Peter, James, and John pursued that relationship. I can show you the scriptures if you want to see it to where they were the ones that called Jesus away privately at multiple times and said, Lord, teach us more. Show us more. And because they pursued it, that relationship was built. Now I'm getting into the two new ones. I may not have time to finish it this morning. I'm going to get into my group this morning. My group. The reason why I don't have more relationships like I need to have. The reason why I'm not the Christian I should be because I don't have the exhortation I need because, and, and, and here's my group, quit being selfish. I'm a selfish man. I'm a man that I want my time. And I don't want you invading my time. And that's not right. I'm just being straight with you. It's not. But I'm a man that I, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And when I get ready to go home, I just want to go home and lay on the couch. I don't want the phone call. I don't want the visit. I don't want anything. I just want to be left alone. But listen, that's not right. I will not be able to, to be who I am supposed to be in God without letting you minister your gifts to me. I can't. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Now, anybody else fall in that category? But that's not good. You have to quit being so selfish and learn to sacrifice your life to others. You know, I'll get there in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Quit being so selfish. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read it real quick. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I'm done in Romans anyway, so if y'all lose that spot, don't worry about it. Listen to what he says. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, now you see what he's talking about? He's talking about displaying all your gifts. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, bearing, being of one mind, of one accord. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through what? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Go to number four. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You know what my problem is? I'm all about me, Nick. Now, I have my spells where I'm about you. I do. I do. But for the most part, I'm all about me. For the most part, I'm all about what I want, when I want, how I want it. And if I don't want it, guess what? It don't happen. I'm a hard-headed man. Oh, I'm stubborn. I'm probably the most stubborn man in this building. I'd, I'd, I, would, I would be willing to butt heads with you to find out, see who's got the hardest. But I guarantee you I'm in the running. And I want what I want when I want it. And if I don't want it, you know what? I, I can get an attitude. I really just don't care. <laughs> and that's sorry is what that is. So I say quit being selfish to all you people like me and learn to share your life with others. Learn to open your doors and let people come in your house. Oh, I'm world's worst when people come by work. I'll meet them at the door and I'll try my best to stand in the door and make them talk to me there, especially if it's cold because they won't stay long. <laughs> I'm terrible, ain't I? I mean, I'm just being, I'm, I'm telling, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not making excuses, but I do stand up here and tell you my flaws. This was a big one for me. It is. But it's one that God is smacking me upside my head with and saying, Kevin, you're a selfish idiot. You're selfish. And you need to quit this. There, this is not the way that I designed you to be. I mean for you to look out, not only for your own interest. It ain't that God don't want you to have your time on your couch with your TV every now and then. But he says, don't just look out for your interest. Look out for the interest of others. How many of these church people are going to be discouraged because half of you decided to stay home on the couch tonight? Let's just be straight. Do you know how discouraging it is to come in and look around? How encouraging is it to walk in and your church is just exploding? People are everywhere. And then half of you decide one day, you know, I just don't really feel like going this morning, so we're going to stay at home. And we walk in and pews are half empty, and all of a sudden everybody starts going, What's going on? Something's not right. 
It's discouraging. It's not good for the body. Number five, don't be scared and insecure. In using your gifts, there are so many people. Do you remember the story of Jeremiah? And Jeremiah, um, God said to him, Jeremiah, I want you to go and, and speak for me. And what Jeremiah said, uh, um, uh, now wait a minute, Lord. I'm only a youth. And he was right. He was. But God looked at Jeremiah and he said, Jeremiah, don't you say that. Don't you say that I'm only a youth. I need you to quit having unbelief because of who you are and believe that you can do what I told you to do because of who I am. Listen, you may not know how to serve or what to do, but I promise you if you'll look for opportunities in the Bible, or in the, in the I'm sorry, in the Bible, look for opportunities in the church, God's going to point them out to you. He's going to supply you with everything you need to be able to do it. You never know how much of an impact you're going to make on somebody else's life. I want to give you an example. If you read the book of Jeremiah all the way through, you will think that Jeremiah was an utter failure because the kingdom ended up in, in captivity of Babylon. And Jeremiah had to sit up on a hill and watch it. But if you go to the book of Joseph, if you go to the book of of Second um, Chronicles chapter thirty four or Second um, Kings chapter twenty two, if you go to either one of those books, you'll read a story of a man named King Josiah. And King Josiah was the king when Jeremiah was the prophet. And the Bible says that at eight years old, King Josiah began to seek the Lord with all his heart. Well, the book of Romans chapter 10 says, how will they hear unless someone preaches? So in other words, Josiah couldn't have known to turn and seek the Lord had he not heard someone preaching about the Lord. And guess who the preacher was during the time of Josiah? Jeremiah. Josiah went through and in a few years of his reign he cleaned up the entire kingdom and the kingdom was spared for a time because of Jeremiah's obedience to do what God said do when at the beginning he said I'm just a youth what can I do? Let me tell you God has called you to minister your gift to one another. Don't be scared and insecure because it's lack of faith it's unbelief you trust God, and I promise you, He will guide you into everything you need to do to lead the way. Finally, I'm closing. You never know. <laughs> I love it when somebody else's phone rings in church. Everybody look at her. Everybody, everybody look at the front row. There it is right there. Yeah. That's my mother-in-law, so I can do that. I'll pay the consequences for it later. <clears throat> Finally, and I'm closing. You never know how one out of many that you minister to will impact the kingdom. You may try to build relationships with a hundred people in here and only find one successful. But guess what? You never know how that one that you minister to is going to affect the kingdom. Jeremiah, in, in the eyes of many, would have been a failure. But when you read the life of Josiah and learn who the preacher was, you see that Jeremiah actually changed the whole kingdom. It was only for a time, but God used him mightily. So you have to use your gifts. If you don't use them, the body will not grow. It will not function. Sunday school teachers, y'all listen to me. You may never know the impact that you'll make on the kingdom just by one student that you raise. I guarantee you that don't none of my Sunday school teachers that actually taught me during Sunday school growing up realize who I am today. I guarantee you none of them know the impact that has been made on the kingdom. And I'm not boasting. I've been doing this for several years. I've led many to the Lord. I've seen a lot of things change. And they don't have a clue that because of the one student that they kept striving with, that they kept working with, that they kept bearing with, and I was an idiot, I'll just be honest with you, I was a dummy, but they kept working with me, and because of that one student has changed many lives. Sunday school teachers, you don't know the impact that you're going to make by displaying your gift in the manner that you do it. You never know. Nick King, 
he don't realize the impact that he has made in Mike and Wanda's life just by putting wood in a stove or in a, in a heater, I guess it is. I called to talk to Wanda the other day just to check on them, how they were doing, pray with them, and, and, um, and she just cried telling me about how, how Nick King put wood in their heater. Nick put wood in their heater. Big deal, Nick King. <laughs> but it is a big deal. It was a big deal. Mike or her, neither one can do it. She just cried telling me how her family has just took so good care of them. Not only, not only Tina and Chad and Bobby, as she talks about Bobby Joe and Shelby and all that, that all she's got to do is call Shelby and Shelby just runs to Walmart to get whatever she needs and she just thank God for her family. And, and I just sit there and thought to myself, these guys, even though they know they're helping, they don't know the impact that they're making in the lives of these people just by serving. They didn't ask Nick to come out and preach him a sermon. He's a pastor, but they didn't ask him to do that. They didn't ask Amanda to bring tater soup. By the way, Wanda's soothing meal, the meal that when she sits down to eat tater soup, that's the meal that just, that just soothes her soul. They didn't ask her for that. She didn't have to do that. But just by finding a place to serve and not being selfish with their time, don't you know when they get done at a hard day's work, they want to go home lay on the couch? But yet, they saw a brother and sister that had a need right now, and they said, Lord, how can I serve? And they just let the grace of God flow through them out into others. And because of that, it resulted in ministering to the body. So I say to you, use your gifts. Don't get a list out and try to find where you stand. Let God's grace and love and mercy and service and kindness just flow through you and just look for opportunities to serve. And if you can do that, I promise you, the body will become members one of another. Y'all stand this morning. The altar is open for whatever you need. I encourage you this morning to make sure that your mind and heart is clear of everything that you need to say to God this morning. Whether it's an adoration of praise, come bow down and say it to Him. Whether it's a cry of repentance, come bow down and cry to Him. Whatever your need is this morning, I'm asking you, don't leave here this morning without a clean mind and a clean heart to walk out of this place and know that me and God, we're okay. So I encourage you as we sing this morning, come for whatever your need is.